Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, April 26th edition of the Basement Academy. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day. Hopefully, at the end of this day, you'll know Psalm 146 a little bit better. For the last week or so, I've been reflecting on a few of my favorite psalms, one a day. And so it's like introducing friends to you. These are my friends and I'm introducing now. I know you already know these psalms. Many of you do. Um, but I, I kind of have this relationship with each psalm. Um, they're good friends. But like all good friends, you, you meet at some point. And so, you know, we've all been in that situation. Hey, tell me, how do you all know each other? Right? When you come upon, you know, somebody you know, but you don't know the other person, then they're friends. So tell me how you, how you met. And so I met Psalm 146 long before I understood anything about praying the Psalms. I was still in college, a young believer, just a couple of years old in the Lord. <clears throat> I met Christ personally when I was down at UVA. I've got my little UVA vest on here. Um, I was involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, not all of us were varsity athletes. Many had played sports in high school. Um, there were some of us that were still playing in college. But uh, nonetheless, this was a group of kind of folks like me in, in many respects, a similar interest and background. And by God's grace, I was led to FCA and uh, began to grow there, played guitar, and so got involved in Psalm 146. A portion of Psalm 146 was one of our praise songs. And so let me read the psalm, and, um, and then I want to talk about this friend of mine. Um, I met the psalm through a couple little verses. Boy, did I find out how much more there is to this psalm. So, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save, when their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. When I met Psalm 146, all I really knew was the first couple verses. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. That was the, the refrain or the chorus, a very simple, simple song. 
little did I know the depth to this friend, right? And so when I reconnected with Psalm 146 through this praying of the Psalms, oh, I learned this is really not so much a psalm of praise, though it's it's there. It's a psalm about the human family, the human condition, about God and the importance and centrality of God in meeting or addressing the, the deep needs of the, the human condition. And so, so I will continue to sing uh, praise to God as long as I live. And so I, I, you know, writing songs and playing music, I, I hope God gives me voice and skill on the song, on, on the guitar and, 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 and a love for hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. All that, I hope my whole life, I want to sing to God my whole life. But here's what Psalm 146 is about. Do not put your trust in princes. Verse three. So right after the praise chorus, he gets right into this, it's guidance, it's wisdom, it's instruction. Do not put your trust in princes. Well, that's, okay, what's that about? Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save when their spirit departs. They return to the ground on that very day. Their plans come to nothing, right? This psalm and its wisdom, and this verse and its wisdom has become so evident in recent years. We live in a society, probably a world we could say, but let's just talk about American society that we inhabit and know. We live in a society that is increasingly dominated by politics, political discourse, political division, polarization. We've heard all about that, right? Um, this, this seems to be the reality that's more and more shaping our society. And so you no sooner than finish one election that you begin really leaning towards the next, the election cycle, the political cycle, right? And so you've got these two-year cycles with the House of Representatives, four-year cycles on the White House, six-year cycles with the Senate, uh, the gubernatorial cycles here in Virginia, where we kind of, you know, on the off, uh, offbeat, you know, on uh, the, the, the non-election years for the national um, election. So we're, our, our lives are shaped by politics but politics is simply about how do we order our shared lives? How do we order ourselves in community as a society? How will we make decisions? What policies? Um, how will we allocate resources? Um, how will we come together and solve our shared problems? Well, it requires discussion, debate, and ultimately then we make these decisions called votes or elections. And we don't always see eye to eye on how to solve the problems, but we all perceive the same problems. So politics is about solving human problems. At least that's in theory what it's about. Finding leaders who will address the needs of our communities. What I believe is true of the human family, we all have a kind of messianic hunger. And elections play into this and we fall for it. 
the messianic hunger is this. We all want somebody to come and fix it. Just fix it. Make it better. Solve the problems. Do it once and for all. And so all of us look to the prince. See, that's the prince represents that human leader um, who we then invest with hopes and expectations to solve the problems. Lead us, lead us to a better place. And so we elect somebody or somebodies. They don't solve all the problems, sometimes create new problems, right? And we throw them out and the hunger cycle, the, the, the election cycle, the messianic cycle starts all over again. And they make promises and we go, yeah, 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 you're not going to fulfill them all, but you know, I'll at least give you a chance over that other person. And so the wisdom of this psalm is don't live with the delusion that princes can solve these deep problems. Politics seduces us into thinking that there can be ultimate solutions for what ails the human family. Friends, we cannot solve these East of Eden problems. We cannot solve hunger and oppression. We cannot solve death. We cannot solve injustice. Say, oh, well, we, we, we can do something. Yes, we can, but we can't solve. We, we can mitigate, we can move towards um, provisional or temporary solutions that, that move us in a, in, a, in a proper direction. But no prince, no potentate, no president, no prime minister, um, no Senate, no Congress, no Supreme Court is going to solve the human problem. And this is what this, the psalm moves towards. Do not put your trust in princes. Blessed is he, blessed is she, whose hope, whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord our God. Don't put your trust in the human prince, the human leader, the president, the congressman, the senator, the Supreme Court justice. Do not put your hope there ultimately. Put your hope in God. For God is the maker of heaven and earth. God is the covenant maker, enters into covenant relationship. God is faithful forever. And then the psalmist goes through and talks about what God does. All the things we want the prince to do, God does. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He, he loves people of character and good, good, good heart. The Lord watches over the alien or the foreigner, okay? He sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. Do not put your trust in princes. Put your trust in the Lord who does these things. And so ultimately, the East of Eden realities that we struggle with are intractable. They are unsolvable by human means, by human communities. The prince and the rest of us cannot solve what ails the human family. God can, 
God will, God does, God is doing this. And so the problems that beset the human family, oppression, hunger, um, prison, whether justly imprisoned, you have crime, or unjustly imprisoned, you have people falsely accused, and so there's injustice, right? Um, blindness, um, the, the being bowed down, it's, it's being crushed under the weight of it all. Uh, the alien or the foreigner, kind of the, the tribalism, when somebody who's not like us comes into our midst, how do we treat them, right? That's the alien or the foreigner in your midst. God says, love the foreigner in your midst. Don't hate them. But we devolve to tribalism. Oh, you're not like us. You don't have the same color skin. You don't have the same kind of accent. Um, you don't vote the same way. Well, we're going to be against you. And, and so violence and harm. So kind of tribalistic behavior. And so we can't solve tribalism. And then you've got the fatherless. Okay. Fatherless because death has come uh, prematurely and taken uh, a man away and leaves a, a widow and, and the children or divorce, right? Leaves a, a family bereft in, in some ways. And so all of these problems that beset the human family that the psalmist is speaking about here that God addresses, all of them have ultimately a spiritual root, a spiritual cause. Politics eliminates the spiritual, right? We say, no, 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 there's no room for the spiritual in our political discourse. And so we're trying to, we, we assume that things are psychological, they're sociological, they're uh, financial or economic, um, they're medical, they're educational. And so we work at these other levels. If we could just have better science and better technology, if we could have better schools and uh, uh, more uh, better funded research, and if we could have better hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, then we'll solve the problems. Nope. Nope. Do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in researchers. Do not put your trust in technologists. Do not put your trust in doctors. Do not put your trust in educators. Do not put your trust in the human leaders. Ultimately, even the best of them that do the best work Ultimately, they retire and die. <laughs> and on the day they die, everything they planned, all the good they were doing, it's over. They can do no more good. You must put your trust in someone that is eternal, that can never die, that is good at heart, and that has a good heart and working towards that. So the, the needs of the human family are spiritual, and so the solutions are spiritual. Now, I believe economics has a connection to spirituality, and um, education does, and medicine, and the like, and so we must properly understand the human family. What does it mean to be human? What is it that ails the human family? Well, we have this condition. It's, an, it's tainted. It's affected by sin, and so... So we put ourselves first and we put others down and we're tribalistic, et cetera. And so when you work at the problems from a proper understanding uh, of the nature of the problem, you have a better chance of addressing the problem. And so this is why Western civilization has done the best job of mitigating human suffering and human problems. And what is Western civilization based upon? 
Christianity. Tom Holland makes this compelling argument in his book, Dominion. I've spoken about it probably two years ago. I think it was in 21 that I gave kind of a soft book review and had read the book. If you haven't read it, read it. It's long. I listened to it. I've listened to it twice. And he makes the case how this religion based upon a, 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 a humiliated, crucified peasant, Jesus, crushed under the wheels of the, the Roman Empire. A crucifixion was the most humiliating death possible. And it was intended to, to, to humiliate and show, do not do what that person does or you will suffer a similar fate. How did that religion with a few, handful of followers gather around this crucified weakling and how did it come to be the force that shapes society. <laughs> so Tom Holland makes that argument. And so Western civilization has done the best job possible of mitigating human problems. And so all you know, medicine and science and um, um, uh, civil rights, human rights, all of these have roots in the Christian enterprise discovering science, discovering the world God has made. We, we find order in the world because God has made this world. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the seas and everything in them, right? <laughs> Put your hope there. And then the scientific endeavor that seeks order and finds order. And you can, you see these you can conduct an experiment and it repeats and go, okay, there's something we now understand about the nature of the world because God made a world that is orderly. Now, scientists who break away from these deep abiding spiritual roots and the, the pursuit of science, uh, thinking God's thoughts after him, I think it was Francis Bacon who, who said that, we want to understand how God made the world so we can think God's thoughts after him. God prefers order. Humans prefer disorder, anarchy, right? We want to kill and, <laughs> and maim and, and destroy. Why do we have human rights, civil rights, equal rights? Because we understand that man is made in the image of God. All people have dignity and worth. There's no, there's no secular argument for that, right? It, it is an argument rooted in our scriptures, okay? And so... What this psalm does, and I know I'm kind of moving into a different direction, but I've this is why this is one of my favorite psalms. I love Psalm 146. I love that I get to pray it every month. I can pray it every day if I want, but especially in election seasons when, when things are kind of drifting towards, oh yeah, we're going to go take the White House. We're going to go take back the Senate. We're going to take back Congress. We're going to take back the Supreme Court. We're going to take the state out. You know, whatever it is. And again, I don't care who you vote for because it just goes back and forth. The Messianic hunger thinking the prince is going to solve the problems. Nope. And so if there was true revival in our society and people came to know the Lord, and we began to try to work together instead of competing against, we would work together with a common understanding of, of God's call and purpose and plans. And if we gave ourselves to these pursuits as God does of ending hunger and ending injustice and the like, we would find society would be better. Now, are Christians perfect? Do all Christians agree? No, of course not. 
These are some of the continued problems that we look at these same scriptures and we disagree. And that's part of our denominational realignment conversation, right? Anyway, Psalm 146 is so very important. I pray that you will get to know this good this, this friend, and it'll become a good friend to you uh, as to me. And it keeps us grounded in reality. People say, well, why do these conditions then persist on if God solves all these problems? <clears throat> because ultimately what God intends is for our hunger and for injustice and for the suffering and everything that we experience in life to awaken us to the spiritual need that each of us have. The problems persist because sin persists in us. Every generation of humans that are born are born into sin. And so we contribute to the, to the problems of the world, but God allows those problems persist so that we will wake up and realize there is something wrong that we can't solve. There must be someone who can solve. And then we turn to God. And that's what this psalm points us to. So anyway, I've gone on long enough. I hope you will come to love uh, Psalm 146 as I have. But for these and many more reasons, these are the reasons why this is one of my favorite psalms. Let's pray. And so Father, thank you. And we do praise you with our souls. And may we praise you our whole lives and may we sing our praise to you. Thank you for those early days of, of knowing you and knowing this psalm through that the songs of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But thank you for the wisdom and how this psalm teaches us to pray and to seek you as the one who can solve um, uh, all what, 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 what ails us. And so we look to you, O oh God. And we do pray for our president. We pray for our senators, our congressmen, our Supreme Court justices. We pray for our governor, uh, for our delegates and assemblymen and county super. We pray for all who bear leadership. What an awesome responsibility. Lord, may these leaders become and be people of faith, hope, and love as we seek to be. And so, Father, lead us uh, in the way of righteousness as we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May you this day sing praise to God and may you this day put your hope in God, in God alone, the maker of heaven and earth and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so bless you this day and forevermore.